I'm Ace Callwood. And I'm Scott Wayne. And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. All right. So uh, for, first and foremost, you very distinctly don't sound like Scott Wayne. Who are you? Who, who are I you? I do not sound anything <laughs> like Scott Wayne. Probably uh, for the best. Maybe for the best, yeah. yes. My name is Perry Young. Okay. Uh, I am a producer at Envoy and Rogue Media. And I'm also a DJ, oh. professional DJ, okay. music producer, designer, writer, man of many talents. All right. So uh, what don't you do is probably an easier question, uh, but I, park that because we're going there <laughs> later. Um, no, this is, you You are the man behind the microphone here for Envoy Recorded Radio, which is really cool to get you on the other side of the mic. That's correct. Uh-huh. How do you feel about hearing your voice? It's, in your words, unsettling. I, don't bring me into this. I don't think I've ever gotten used to it. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think one, except for maybe Lord Wayne acclimates to hearing himself. Um, and I only know that because I catch Scott listening to videos and podcasts of himself regularly. Yes. Now, one week when he's here and I'm not, I'm sure he's going to fire back at me for that. But we'll wait until then. Um, this week's... Envoy Recorded Radio is a shout out, a dedication, a tribute to Alice Gray Harrison, uh, who is one of my all-time favorite humans in the world. I've had the pleasure of working for her, I think is the appropriate way to say that. But she is, it is her fault you're here. Um, That is correct. She asked us, uh, I was emceeing a thing for her firm, and uh, she said, hey, I want to do a kind of... DJ, MC, like supporting artist with the MC thing. And we've known each other for a long time. I reached out and I said, Perry, this is a bad idea. Are you in? And I think you just texted back, yes. And fast forward, we ended up suited up in Washington, D.C., and then very shortly thereafter, suited up in Salt Lake City, and then shortly thereafter, suited up like full tux in New York City. And we've just kind of been on a tear of the Perry and Ace show, which I think has been fun. I won't speak for you, but I'm glad you said yes. I'm glad I'm said yes, too. And it has been a, a roller coaster ride and a lot of fun. And again, thank you, Alice Gray, for putting that together. And <laughs> basically inviting us to have a good time while we do good work. Yeah. Which is the coolest part of everything that we've gotten to do so far. Yeah. Not only has it been, you know, an enjoyable experience, but we also got to do some good work. Yeah. With some great people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So that that is to Alice Gray Harrison. Thank you uh, for the trust in the space to take the work very seriously. And as we like to say, uh, ourselves significantly less so. So I was just having a blast. Yes. Um, I dig that. Uh, yeah, so we got a couple things for this week. I've got, um, call it uh, a series of very specific thoughts on um, unrelated topics for the next couple minutes. Um, for, first off, I want to. I'm going to bring the energy in a very different direction. Um, Tyree Nichols for a second, because I, I recognize I'm sitting with uh, another black man in America on this podcast. And uh, there have been a couple updates. I think the the white officer involved in that altercation um, got let go from the Memphis police force officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that took a while after we saw the five black officers um, who, who got very, very swiftly let go from the force. Um, 
But I was talking to a group of, of executives this week, and the sentiment was, <laughs> there was, there was kind of twofold. I think I mentioned this last week on, on radio, it was it, having a conversation about Tyree Nichols isn't for us, right? The like, what does this mean? And I, I had a group of executives who were having a conversation in this vein, all black, and there was a nugget that came out that I hadn't considered in the way they articulated it. And so I'm just gonna park this and see how it resonates. Um, the, the commentary was ace paraphrase version. We got hit on both sides. So we saw the swift justice with which the black officers um, were, were dealt with, but also uh, when I get pulled over by a cop, which is less regularly these days, I've slowed down a little bit in my life, um, but when I get pulled over by a black cop, there's almost a sigh of relief that this isn't heading in that direction. And now as a the community of black folks who are certainly not a monolith, but have some very similar experiences in this country. Um, it, that's, all, that's been taken from us. Is, I, I see you nodding. Um, I'm, yeah, what, how, are you, how are you sitting with all of it? Well, uh, you know, that's an interesting kind of uh, situation I think we all find ourselves in from time to time. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, uh, less these days, and that's for lots of reasons, uh, too many to really list off right now. But when it comes to that, I think that comfort that we always felt when you see a black police officer, mm -hmm. uh, it faded away uh, during George Floyd. Because even, and this is from my personal perspective and, and shared perspective with some, uh, some of my friend or friends and family and peers here in the city, um, we, we used to, I used to see the officers of color in a different light versus the white officers, but that was a time where there was a time where they were all one color. They were all the police mm -hmm. because it was the police against the citizens of the city mm. at one point in time. And, you know, that lens of, oh, here's a, a person of color that could assist me or is going to, you know, we're both going to go through this interaction to say a traffic stop. Or maybe um, empathize with how I'm feeling right now. Right. right. Yeah. Like, you know, I might be having a tough day, so I'm a little speedy. Uh, I'm trying to get home because I got some things to do, no ill will, no malice, no foul intent, and just kind of understand each other as people versus the officer and the criminal. Yeah. And uh, even now, you know, I still I like to see it with rosy colored lenses, but uh, I have to be realistic going into the situation. Mm -hmm. You know, that isn't the case. And uh, I can't expect it. Otherwise, I'm the one that's going to uh, be affected in, in a not so glamorous way so you know not to get too deep or dark with it but that's just kind of how it is and that's again my personal uh, yeah. perspective on it you yeah know, and things like what happened with uh this latest incident don't help no and especially when you see for instance uh officers of color in positions of power in the police department and you expect as a community that th things will be different if that's the situation yeah and then we do get outcomes like this or outcomes where chiefs of police are making calls that other officers in the past or uh, the police departments in the past have made that were that drastically negatively impacted the black community. So mm -hmm. it's you know how how are we actually making progress by making the changes like that? Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that that one stuck with me. And that same experience you just shared um, was one that uh, yeah, just I've I've been ruminating on that since I had the conversation last week, maybe a week and a half ago. Um, 
So yeah, commiseration. Let's yeah. um let's look at the things that maybe are helping our community for a second. Sure. Um, <clears throat> Howard University partnered with the DOD on. <clears throat> a university-affiliated research center. Um, so Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin um, got went down to Howard and went over to Howard, I suppose. He's in D.C. already, mm-hmm. right? So uh, went over to Shaw and, and was having a conversation. And so some of the stats that he listed were news to me. 30% of African-American STEM professionals graduate from an HBCU. And so the Air Force has now partnered with Howard to, to create a research center focused on tactical autonomy um, at Howard University, which I think is just rad. Um, and to, to see a pointed, um, uh, suppose, nod to the technical prowess that HBCUs are creating, that excellence in education, um, but beyond that for the U.S federal government to say, hey, this is where we're going to make concerted efforts to to both start creating the next generation of professionals in this field, but also to, to make sure that we are spending money appropriately um, in corners of our country that have been largely historically overlooked and underserved. Um, I, I think... Right. We've got we've always we always live with that tension of, look, we see some really horrible things happening um, to a community of people who look like us. And then also on the other side, uh, we're seeing some some very real inroads to bettering education and funding and access. And and I think privilege is a function of that um, starts to move in a direction that might be beneficial for us. Yeah, I agree. I think it's great. You know, Stuff you know, things like these situations, things like the, the Howard University getting backing from the federal government, it's a big step. Yeah, and that will have rever- reverberations throughout yeah. throughout the time as time goes on, um, and hopefully in the positive direction that we all are looking for. We're yeah. all looking forward to seeing um, what this yields for the community and for or for people that are coming behind and stepping into that what could be a legacy. Yeah, you know, I think that's great. I'm digging it. And and this isn't the first one, right? This is the 15th university-affiliated research center. Um, But for it to be an HBCU, and and I think uh, here I had one of the quotes up that I really dug. Um, uh, Department's committed to investing even more in HBCUs and minority-serving institutions. And so, yeah, there's, there's, I think, as I talk about, as we talk about race and not even just race. I think the the phrase we use, and you and I have talked about this, is in-groups and out-groups. And right. that's relative and contextual because we're two black men sitting in a podcast room in the corner of our compound in Richmond, Virginia. And on one hand, we are black men, and so in the out-group in America. Uh, but on the other hand, if any one of the incredible women we get to work with came into this room, they would be in the out group because we'd be men. And so along gender, like all of that is relative and contextual. And I I think as we talk about um, equality, I think we conflate that with equity, Mm -hmm. right? And so the the two cents is, uh, from my end at least, call it three cents because I've lived in the DEI world for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, My three cents is, is... we get it wrong because we think equality and equity are the same thing. And it's really easy. I use the COVID, uh, COVID test analogy from the federal government. Um, COVID test went out to every household. I think four went out in the first tranche at least. Um, 
I have, well, how many people do you have in your household? Uh, in my household at the time, there were two people. Okay, so two people in your household at the time, um, there was one in mine, and if I think about Scott, for instance, he's got five folks in his household. We all got the same four COVID tests, right? right? That's equality, and if we look at that, it's a very easy thing to be like, well, that doesn't work, right? Scott doesn't get what he needs. You've mm-hmm. got two more than you need. I have three more than I need. Right. Um, whereas equity is everybody gets what they need to be successful. And so as I think about what equity really is, it's understanding where funding has gone from the federal government or other entities, who it's gone to, what those communities need, and how we support them appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all not a non sequitur into equity quality, but uh, tying back to the DOD's investment in Howard, mm-hmm. um, I, I think we're, we're starting to see some intentionality in level setting. And I dig that across the board, mm-hmm. not just along racial lines, but along the lines of who's in the in-group, who's in the out-group, and how do we start to support those groups appropriately? Yeah, I can agree more. There we go. Yeah. All right, moving on. Um, but staying with the, the DOD for a second, um, there, was, there was a balloon. <laughs> Balloon. Did you hear about the balloon? Uh, Baby's black balloon, uh, 99 I, balloon. You know, I heard it was a, a UFO. Okay. <clears throat> yep. Spacecraft, uh, uh-huh. extraterrestrial vehicle. There we go. That's, uh, wait, no, let's, <laughs> let's take a detour um, to extraterrestrial things. You were just talking about the temperature on Mars. I was. You were. What was the context of that? We were just chatting with Vera, our chief of staff here at, uh, at the Envoy Compound. About the crazy weather this weekend, and wasn't it what New Hampshire? New uh, Hampshire. There was a facility on the top of top of a mountain. A mountain. Negative one hundred and eight degrees. Right, which is insane. Yeah. Wind chill negative one hundred and eight degrees. I don't care. I'm an island boy. I don't want that uh, negative. My grandma it. pulls out the heater when it is seventy degrees because that's too. cold. Mine okay. too. She's right. from Virginia, <laughs> and she still pulls out the heater like it's freezing outside, and it's only thirty something yeah. degrees. Yeah, mine's in St. Thomas. If it hits seventy, heater comes out. It's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, negative so, one hundred and eight. Negative one hundred and eight. And I, being the uh, astronomy kind of science nerd slash appreciator. I don't want to say aficionado because I'm not an expert. I just appreciate it and I study up on it from time to time. Okay. Uh, I remembered or recalled a time in the past where it was noted on um, a news outlet. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure which one, but that somewhere in the U.S. during a a winter season in the past, it was as cold, if not colder, than it is on Mars. And we, general knowledge, I think, is that a planet that far from the sun is going to be drastically colder than uh, anywhere closer like Earth or the moon especially with all of the things going on with talks about traveling to Mars with SpaceX and uh, the Artemis program, I'm always interested to see how these two bodies in our universe or in our solar system are compared to each other. Sure. 108 degrees or negative 108 degrees was colder than it was on Mars this weekend. To be clear, this man's just rattled off the temperature on Mars with zero thought as we were having this conversation earlier. And so I don't know how much you downplayed being a NASA nerd, um, but I'm going to hold you to that. And uh, shout out to some of our NASA folks. Yeah, shout out to NASA. Keep doing that good stuff. (laughs) Shout out to NASA. Keep doing that good stuff. (laughs) All right. So back to balloons, which is kind of sort of related, I suppose. Um, We had a balloon over Montana is where I think everybody got familiar with it. It was... uh, it was shot. Actually, you were rattling off stats to me. We shot it down nine 
nine miles off the coast? Yes. Nine that, nautical that's miles. Nautical miles, right. Okay. So it, this thing um, came in up toward Alaska, cruised across the country. We saw it over Montana, saw it a couple other places, shot it down over the coast and uh, along party lines, there's much debate on how quickly or how uh, slowly decisions were made from the Biden administration, which I, I look, the hyperpolarization of politics right now is fascinating. It's, right? it's entertaining, to say the <laughs> least. Nobody is going to win here. <laughs> but you know who did win is the F-22. Um, the the F, F-22 had its first air-to-air combat kill um, <laughs> in in its career uh, that just tickles me man it's, it does it's um <clears throat> so when the the article came out or came across my uh my social media platforms and i heard about a balloon weather balloon being shot down um i didn't really look too much into it because things like this make the news but they're not in my opinion they're not large portions of like my news intake yeah i usually get to them after i you know take a look at a couple of other things sure and uh, i looked into it a little bit today and bbc with their uh very detailed coverage bbc's just no bs <laughs> they're I, just all over that the specifics and the that. specs and everything was great yeah. you got the whole write-up yeah it uh it was a little comical at first mm -hmm. um but you know props to the F-22 in your first air-to-air -air kill, even though it is an inanimate object that we like to call a weather balloon or weather <laughs> device. Um, props to you. At least we know the guns work. Look, don't 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 take that from the <laughs> F-22 Raptor. I think it did a great job. Um, we're just we're just not seeing dogfights in the way that we used to, right? F-22 has been in service. Uh, since Syria and Iraq, so over a decade yeah. ago, um, and and now it's the first time it's brought down an airborne target. Which look, I think the way that we think about combat and conflict, right? This we joke. This is envoy ra tank radio. Mm -hmm. Like we're we're sending tanks in the combat in a way that they haven't haven't necessarily been used in the same way, and we are putting like like huge, huge amounts and investments mm -hmm. into the efforts in Ukraine uh, via tank. And there used to be a time when we were having dogfights left and right, and right. we're not. And so I won't even pretend to equate an F-22 shooting down a weather balloon as a dogfight. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's an era of, of or a nod to era's past. Right. That uh, F-22, the one of the newer pieces of technology in our arsenal, mm -hmm. has now had its first air-to-air -air kill. There we go. All right, moving on, but staying on aviation. Yes. Envoy, uh, not a tank radio. Yeah, Envoy, not tank radio. Envoy, airplane radio. Let's let's keep on this theme. Maybe it's just transportation radio, and we pick a new mode of transportation. I like it every uh, every week. Um, the Boeing seven forty seven got retired. I just heard. Yeah, and so the the queen of the skies. Um, did you see the overlay? We'll post this in the. Um, We'll post this on uh, Envoy Notes as we wrap this up. But uh, there was a the, – the final flight was done and spelled out 747 in a crown, which is really cool. I've got it on my screen here, but we'll make sure we, uh, we post this. So it says 747 and a crown 
with, as a nod to the 747 Queen of the Skies, wow. uh, which first flew for Pan Am in like the late 60s, mm-hmm. I want to say. Back when uh, you could smoke on planes. Back when you could smoke on planes, which, you know, for, I think, the betterment of health and society, we can't do that any longer. That like very Mad Men-esque right. era. The golden era, as yeah. some would refer to it. Suits and ties, dresses and hats, a uh, glass of whiskey and a cigarette, uh-huh. and you're uh, off to New York. And you're off to New York, and then you'd get to the greatest city in the world that is not Richmond, Virginia. And yeah, sorry, sorry to all our Europeans listening to that. I recognize that you don't agree with me, but you're wrong. You can edit that out, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, we can edit that out. I, I don't think you're going to, <laughs> given how you just responded to that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so shout out to Boeing. Shout out to the 747 and yeah. moving. It was uh, first Airbus um, mm-hmm. that rolled out. So, um yeah. revolutionary in a lot of ways. You know, I think we, as people in, in uh, a portion of our society and our um, employment situation, our community, we're able to uh, travel with relative ease and leisure, and uh, flying is a big part of that, especially for their onboard team. So, you know, on a larger scale, uh, 747 being one of the pioneers of modern aviation travel and uh, commuter travel. So, cheers to that. Yeah. Thanks for making it easy for us. Ah, shout out. Yeah, we, we do spend a lot of time on planes. Yeah. So, uh, shout out to the aviation industry as a whole. Well, uh, I'm sure go down that rabbit hole on later episodes of Envoy Radio. Yeah, it's going to be a later episode of Envoy Planes, Aircrafts, Aviation Radio. Trains. We should cover trains at some point. We should. We've, um, we've got the tanks. We've got F-150s. We've got okay. 747s. Yeah, we'll talk We'll talk about how trains are um, a, a Supposedly, trains now are 30 minutes, domestic trains in America, 30 minutes slower than they were at the uh, turn of the century. Um, and I find that fascinating. That is that fascinating. We have not improved our infrastructure uh, whatsoever. We might, we might go deep on that. Yeah, we don't have to go too deep on it. But my favorite comparison that I've ever learned and then experienced, because I had the pleasure of going and, and using one, was... Um, and speaking of speed of trains, yeah. that commuter trains in the U.S. are slow. That's no secret. No secret. Uh, but then there are numerous countries on the planet that have high-speed rails, uh, maglev trains, and then mm-hmm. the one specifically that takes the cake, and I still I believe they're even increasing with uh, infrastructure and speed and technology, is Japan and their bullet train from Kyoto, Osaka, and Tokyo. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's a 300 something mile an hour train. Have you been on it? I have been on it. Okay. I got Was to ride it for a week. It's the raddest thing. It's, inc- it's like being on an airplane that's about to take off, but it never gets off the ground. It's <laughs> wild. I want that. You can get from Tokyo to Osaka in two hours, that's... and that's about an eight hour car ride. Yeah. And they have had that technology since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not pointing fingers. <laughs> But if you were, who would you point them at? Uh, anyone who has had access to said technology and didn't. Didn't use it appropriately. (laughs) Didn't use it for good, only for ill. Yeah, okay, so train folks out there, we need you to step up your game because we've got the bullet train, we've got Eurostar. Um, I was on the Eurostar a couple months ago Mm -hmm. uh, from Brussels to London, and yeah, you just blow through that trip. It's incredible. You've got some champers while you're you're riding, Mm -hmm. and you're seeing some really beautiful countryside, some less than beautiful countryside, but you are getting where you're going very quickly. Yeah. And... uh, 
I don't know if you've taken, I do know that you have taken Amtrak from uh, I have. our beautiful city up north, and uh, it is a mess and a half at best. And that still boggles my mind. It, I, it I, I appreciate that the Amtrak rails are there, and I know that there is some improvement and some additional lines being uh, included on the East Coast, for, uh, to my knowledge, and for our commute back and forth uh, up north and back down here. But man, it's dated to say the least. And, to uh, say the least, you know, I I always see like just the contrast of places on the East Coast, places mm-hmm. on uh, the West Coast, and uh, even in the Midwest. Some some of the greatest uh, technological achievements that we've made over mm-hmm. the last fifteen years don't seem to have translated to Amtrak. Yeah, it's it's odd. It's you know that I know the trains are still working and they maintain and they still operate the way they're supposed to. But like you were just saying. You know, commuter trains are taking 30% less or 30% more 30, time, 30 minutes, 30 yeah, minutes, 30 minutes more longer. time to, to get where they need to go. And it's just a question of where are we putting all of this time and energy and innovation if it, it's not going to things it, like what we need to do is, you know, travelers and commuters. Yeah, especially with two car guys, right? Like we both still drive manual cars. Mm-hmm. We, I, I like to go fast. I won't speak to you. That was part of the getting pulled over conversation. I like it's, to go fast. It's fewer and further between now, <laughs> um, but not. Not never. And yeah, that's, I love driving, but we have oriented so much to the personal vehicle um, that, yeah, the neglect of public transportation and high-speed rail and our ability to get from point A to point B. There is a time when I love driving. I love feeling the road. I love operating my six-speed, right? Like, that's my jam. Or being in a vintage truck, mm-hmm. which is a very different speed, equally exhilarating for <laughs> Equally exciting. I can go fast and it might fall apart versus I can go real fast. Right? Yes. Like, two, two different vehicles, two different experiences. Uh, but there is a time when I would love to hand off the keys and focus and have a conversation or dig into work or prep for the thing that I'm going to do when I'm when I'm in transit. And yeah, we we aren't afforded that luxury here in the same way that a lot of developed countries and heck, some that aren't as developed um, are just spanking us on. So yeah, there we go. We we could do that better, uh, Perry. If you decide to be a train guy, that'd be great. You yeah, I'll, I'll become a train expert by okay. next week. Perfect. Perfect. Um, cool. So I, I think we are uh, going to stay on the s- semi-theme of DOD for another half a second. Can we do a camo check? Where, where's we your, can do a camo check. Ca- camo I, check. I'm looking at the mic. I'm looking at the, the camera here um, in the studio. The one day that Ace is the only one wearing camo. Yeah. We do a camo check here on, on Compound. Because because somebody always has camo on, and I find it interesting because I'm not always been a camo person. No. It's kind of a recent thing. Yeah. I got some camo pants. I got a nice camo uh, crossbody bag that I like to wear from time yeah, I like to time. That bag. Yeah, and I I see a lot more camo, mm. and I see it in more of a casual kind of streetwear, comfortable fashion sense. Whereas in the past, and I'm sure you can attest to this, a camo jacket was seen as aggressive and counterculture counterculture uh punk scene Mm -hmm. uh hip-hop scene underground hip-hop for sure rock and roll heavy metal Mm -hmm. and now it's been adopted into like high fashion streetwear fashion comfortable fashion and you know we are at work today and Mm -hmm. you got some camo corduroy pants on and you look Look, pretty smart. They're they're quarter they're corduroys and it's chilly out and these are as much practical. Um, I'm not even sure how you saw me in my camo. <laughs> to be honest, that's that's wild. Yeah, he snuck up on everybody. Uh, look, look, I'm moving silence <laughs> like lasagna. Um, 
Yeah. So I want to I want to stay on the kind of topic of sartorialism, because uh, while you are not in camo and I'm going to have to to ding you for that one, uh, you are just denimed out right now, like denim, 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 um, Super Mario style, which I really take. You're you're always you have always been as long as I've known you, which is longer than I think either of us cares to admit. Mm-hmm. Um You've always been incredibly well dressed. Well, thank like, you. Yeah, 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 that I think was a compliment. Um, so, like, talk to me about what style is for you, because I, I see this in our professional world, in uh, the the personal world. We were talking about how people's first impression is often predicated on wardrobe, mm-hmm. um, and that scan from shoes all the way up to the beanies we both have on. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm digging, I'm digging yours. I think, yeah, this uh, is a new look. I'm, I'm trying right. it out. I'm think, gonna, uh, while you're telling me about your like fashion it. philosophy, I'm going to go skull cap like you've got on. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's so a thing. Yeah, talk, talk to me about clothes, because I've seen you run the gamut from uh, fully tuxed out in New York. Um, and the quote that you gave me there, we'll pull that out in a minute. And then all the way to dress down, just chilling, athleisure wear. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? Why is it? How do you think about style? So for me, I guess it's um, it's becoming more of a priority. Mm-hmm. For me, style-wise, is, is something I didn't always really put a lot of focus into. I really would just go for clothes that I... Uh, I found comfortable and like just a couple select pieces, whether it was a t-shirt or a nice pair of shoes. I wasn't really diving all the way into a full put together coordinated uh, ensemble. But as I've gotten older, I definitely have a bigger appreciation for that way of presenting yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also really, really important to uh, your self image and how you feel about yourself. Everyone can probably attest to this when you feel like you don't look good because your clothes may be a little wrinkly or the shirt you had that you used to love doesn't fit that well because you you washed it too many times. It can have a little bit of an impact on how you go about your day, how your your general just feeling about yourself is. And that's important, especially if you want to go out into your day or to work or to, you know, whatever you're doing mm-hmm. at the time and, and you want to go into it with a good attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, dressing well definitely adds to that. So being intentional about picking out certain clothes. Yeah. Being intentional about making sure that things you do buy fit you well. Yeah. Um, color coordination. I'm not saying you have to go out and get a swatch and make sure all your clothes fit in like this little color palette, but mm-hmm. you know, being intentional about making sure that you look good and you feel good when you look in the mirror. Yeah. And when you go out into the world, that is visible. Mm-hmm. So when you meet someone, speaking of first impressions, not only do you look like you put yourself together, like you got your head on straight, you came out and you, you know, wash your face and, you know, came out mm-hmm. you know, looking like you meant to be outside, <laughs> but you also look like you enjoy what you're wearing and you feel good and that is visible and people can pick up on that. And uh, bringing that into a first impression just adds to, you know, how someone else is gonna perceive you in a positive light, Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So I want to I want to take our uh, our last detour of this week's recorded radio, um, and and touch on space making. Uh, think about maybe sartorialism as um, how we uh, design around who we are and how we exist in a place. Um, I want to maybe lend the same to what it means to create an environment. Uh, well, and so um, having known you for quite a while, uh, you have bartended at some of my favorite spots around town. You DJ at some of my favorite spots around town. Um, you DJ at places that I don't frequent at all, right? So yeah. like you, you run the gamut there. Um, 
you have, uh, I have found, just been really intentional about the space that exists here at Canvas. And I would imagine, either consciously or subconsciously, you were thinking about what it means to invite someone into a space and make them feel uh, welcomed and at home. And I just want to touch on the importance of that and maybe some of the things that are top of mind when you're looking at a place that you're inviting people into and being a host of mm -hmm. sorts as a bartender, as a DJ, as quite literally a host here yeah. at Canvas. What does that mean to you? Uh, well, for me, I think making sure that one, you know, the, the biggest one is people are comfortable mm. because what you really want, in my opinion, out of any sort of hosting interaction or inviting someone into a, into a space that you're in control of or mm -hmm. that you're uh, you're setting up to have people come in and enjoy something that you're preparing for them. Let's say you're making dinner, for instance, or you could even compare that to like if I'm hosting or uh, playing a DJ set somewhere, mm -hmm. I'm inviting people to come and enjoy something that I'm going to create. Mm -hmm. You want them to be as comfortable as they can be because people are... are usually more open to experiencing fully what you're going to give to them if they're yeah. comfortable. Yeah. If they have to weed through anxiety and, and, and nervous behavior and mm. uncertainty to get to whatever you're going to give them, it may not have the impact that you want. Mm -hmm. So start at the base level with just making it com comfy, making mm -hmm. it cozy, making it inviting. And you can use your own interpretations, you know, things that would make me comfortable. Let's start there. Yeah. Lighting, atmosphere, Sound, scent, scent, yeah. uh, comfy, like things that are comfortable, things that are, are, are easy barriers for people to get through mm -hmm. to get to a place where they can enjoy fully what you're going to, you know, prepare for them. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to creating the atmosphere that you want people to be immersed in, mm -hmm. that's a, a, another level to it. But it kind of goes with um, making sure that people are comfortable, but also trying to resonate with everyone in the group. And have that that vibe, if you will, that vibration permeate through the entire crowd or yeah. the entire uh, group of people that you invited to your space. Yeah, I've seen I've seen you do this with um, DJ sets, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and it's the same thing sonically. You would expect, or you and I have talked about it, but. Prior to talking about it, it just felt right when I was at a set that you that you DJed. It was let me play some hits, right? Let me play the things that you might be familiar with because that's comfort. And you've got just a wild, wildly varying uh, musical tastes and um, just like library of things that one could listen to. I know every time that we've done a gig together, you've played something, and I'm like, yeah, what was that? <laughs> what, what that was fire. Mm -hmm. uh, but to to know that. You play comfortable or accessible or familiar, and you can control the way people are feeling in a place. So you take them up, you get them settled in with comfortable, and then you take them up and you can ramp up the energy, and then you bring them down into a place that is like, oh, this just feels good for a second. And then you go into the unknown, but they're trusting you at that point. Mm -hmm. And you can take them there to introduce them to something new that may not have been comfortable if that's the thing that was playing unfamiliarly as they got to the venue mm -hmm. but midway through a set you can take them into that kind of dark corner of a new genre that they didn't know they were going to love but they're feeling right now right because you've set the expectation and the vibe and the environment uh, like i is is that intentional when you do it uh yes okay that is intentional uh after years of you know essentially experiments yeah trying things you know testing out variations of a set for instance testing out variations or combinations of how to set up a space 
uh, control a room, uh, design an atmosphere. Um, that's the route that I take is, is making sure that people are comfortable, introducing them to something that they didn't think they needed, keyword there, they didn't think they needed it. And yeah. afterwards, they are, are surprised, impressed, uh, uh, jovial, because they got something that they didn't know they wanted out of it, going into it with no expectation or an expectation yeah. to hear something that they already knew they liked. And then to come out with something that they now are a big fan of at the same time, mm. it's it's a cumulative effect. So mm-hmm. like you were saying, you take them on the journey, you give them a little bit of familiarity, a little bit of comfort, and then you get a, a little bit experimental with something that I know that they should trust me with. Yeah. You know, I give them a little bit of that. And then we round it out with some more of the the familiarity and something that I'm personally, you know, I personally enjoy listening to and something that they, I know, will actually personally enjoy listening to. And you kind of wrap that in its own container, and then you add that to: Is the room comfortable? Mm-hmm. Is it nice to be in? Yeah. Does it sound good? Yeah. And you know, these are when you really break it down. Like we we're talking about people being pretty basic when mm-hmm. it comes to base level humans being Human humans needs and interactions, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, sight, sound, sense, smell. Mm-hmm. Um, those things are very important yeah. to to keep in mind when you're talking about working, interacting, or being around anybody. Yeah. If it sounds too, if it's too loud, for instance, if the music is too loud, even it's, if it's the best song, like Beyonce's new album, if it's something off of Beyonce's new album, she's got bangers for days. Shout out to Ashley White. Shout out to Ashley Just White. All, constantly playing Beyonce. But if you're playing it in a, a room with not so many people in it at full volume, mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like being at brunch when you've got the artist there who's supposed to like, accompany the brunch and add some vibes and they're like playing a full set as if they're at live at live eight or something like that right <laughs> yeah um it's just it's too much it's and too so much. Yeah, knowing what that is reading the room mm-hmm. um you it it sounds to me that and uh, you're an auditory facilitator in a lot of and like you do facilitation in the way that we do here mm-hmm. um but but that journey, it's just so many parallels. And so uh, the perhaps parallels between DJing and facilitating, um, they're, they're the same thing in a lot of respects. If you do yeah. it well and if you're intentional about it. If you're intentional about it, yeah. yeah. And I think the, the great thing that I, I've seen from you and from Scott Wayne as far as facilitators and negotiators go is the ability to break through all of the the stuff that a conversation can be or can Mm. turn into and get right to the human element of why, what, and how. Mm. And starting the dialogue around those very basic principles. And that's, again, that's just getting straight to who people are at the core. Mm. It's like, how can we solve these issues? Well, we don't need to talk about all of these details. (laughs) What what do you want? How do Uh, we get there? And where do we go from there? And that's can be paralleled with introducing somebody to something new. It can be parallel with preparing dinner for a group of people, mm. bartending, yeah, uh, or to running a podcast. And there we go. From the guy who runs the podcast, you heard it here first on Envoy Radio. Uh, this is this has been an absolute blast. And and for what it's worth, a lot of the things I've learned, I've actually seen you do around town for years. So I appreciate you hanging. Appreciate you sharing of some of your wisdom and insight. And um, this has been Envoy Radio with Lord Perry Young. We'll see you next week. See ya. <laughs>